This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Scott McKnight, welcome to Viral Jesus. Babylon is timeless. There was a Babylon, there is a Babylon, and there will always be a Babylon. So the mistake in saying, is Vladimir Putin the beast from the sea or the beast from the land? You know, we get in a little fine discussion there. Or is Hamas connected to this? Or is Netanyahu connected to this? The mistake there is to think that there's only one fulfillment. John, who wrote Revelation and wrote the letters of John, says there are many antichrists. From Christianity Today, this is Viral Jesus, a show about communication and the power of social connections, where we talk to some of the most influential Christian content creators to find out how they've made their faith go viral. Everyone I talk to on this show is someone I follow or was told to follow online. Most of the conversations you'll hear are with people I have never met in person, yet they've impacted how I think. What does it look like for Christians to enter the chat thoughtfully? Let's grow together on Viral Jesus. I'm your host, Heather Thompson Day. Hello, friend. I have been waiting to talk to you. I am so excited about the episode today. I get to sit down with Dr. Scott McKnight, which you know what I mean? Like I take you everywhere with me. So if I get to sit down with Dr. Scott McKnight, you get to sit down (laughs) with Dr. Scott McKnight. Oh my goodness. He is just so brilliant and such a genuine soul. So I'm so excited about that conversation. But before we get into that, I wanted to share with you some of the messages I got last week after my conversation with Karen Swallow Pryor. Karen mentioned, if you remember the conversation, she talked about how the evangelical culture is so deeply shaped by evangelical imagination. And one of the examples she gave is the testimonies that we choose often in church or in Bible study or in youth group to highlight. And I posted a clip of that conversation to a reel on my Instagram. And the reel, it didn't go viral or anything, but it had like almost 10,000 views and over 45 comments. And the majority of those comments were people sharing their personal testimonies. And they were just, I don't know, it was just so beautiful to me to read. So I wanted to share some of those with you. So we're not going to do a social toolkit today or a safe space. Instead, I thought it just might be nice to read back to you some of what people in our Viral Jesus community have experienced and and what they felt willing to share. So the first one I'm going to read to you is from Bianca. And Bianca writes, I don't have a huge conversion story either. God has always been a part of my life. At 20, I was diagnosed with a very rare degenerative neuromuscular condition. And as it's progressed, my journey has been to keep trusting that God has got me, 
despite what is happening to my body. I think it's Brennan Manning who writes that our second conversion is one of trust. And I think I'm still being converted in that sense. Wow. So Bianca, I just want to thank you, first of all, for publicly sharing this. And I also want to tell you that we have several thousand people in the Viral Jesus community who will listen just now. They will have listened to your story. And what I'm asking you, the listener, to do, if you're in your car or you're at work or you're on a walk or you're in your living room, I just want to invite you to pray for Bianca today. Pray for her healing of both body, but also of fear and her ability to continue to trust in that second conversion that she mentioned. I am going to talk about this on the devotional next week, but I am a big believer that God says that we can just bring our requests before him. And I'm just going to let you know, I am one of those people. I will always request healing until it is no longer an option. I have somebody that I love very much who is terminally ill. And every time I pray for them, I still pray for healing. So friends, let's be a real community here, not just hearers of the word, but doers. And so I'm inviting you and I'm asking you to join me in prayer for Bianca. I'm going to put a suicide warning here before I read our next one, just so you know. But I want to read to you something that was left by, her name is Miranda. And Miranda says this, eight years ago, I was contemplating suicide. I remember sitting on my bed, sobbing, saying, God, if you are real, I need you to help me because I can't do this anymore. And I felt him speak to me, telling me I need to go to church, the same church I had visited a year prior. Now, I, I still, I struggle with those thoughts, but I have also seen the goodness of God and his mercy and grace has saved me so many times. Miranda, I just want to thank you so much for being vulnerable. And friends, again, I'm asking you to join me in prayer. We have our sister, Bianca, and our sister, Miranda. Would you pray for them this week that God would continue to send the right people and the right resources into each of their lives? Here is one from Angie. Angie writes this, I was at a really low place and I stole, I stole a Bible. I opened it to Psalm 23, the sheep and yada, yada. There was nothing there. Thought in my mind, I should keep reading. Got to Psalm 25. And it was my life story. For the first time at age 21, I knew God was love and real and cared about me. My whole life changed. I ended up a pastor's wife. <laughs> I laughed out loud when I saw that Angie stole a Bible and now she even said in her comment, she said that she does Bible studies. So Angie, thank you so much for sharing that. I want to read one more to you. I want to find a guy, okay? Representation matters. I know that we have some men. We love you. We're so glad you're here. The men that are in our viral Jesus community. Okay, so this one is from LeBrian. And LeBrian says, 
I used to be jealous of people with the whole I sold drugs, pimp, prostitute, and then they had a God encounter. I used to be so jealous of that testimony. I felt that because I've lived a blessed life, I couldn't have an effective ministry. I had to learn that God has a place for everyone. Your testimony is your life. Don't diminish that. LeBrian, I, I loved your comment because it is so true. In Christianity, because we so focus, I think, on the dramatic stories of conversion, there does become this unspoken sense that God has to do something major in order for you to ever have a message worth telling. So today, I want to remind you that yes, there are the Pauls, the road to Damascus, the big stories of the Bible, but there are also the Daniels. There are also those who just grow in faithfulness even from their youth, and who still make an impact. As LeBrian said, your testimony is your life. I want to tell you something that my mentor, Jose Rojas, always says to me, almost at the end of every single phone call, he says, go and tell people what you have seen. All we are called to do, friend, is share our testimonies, share our stories, and our experiences with God. So here's what I'm saying to you. Go and tell people what you have seen. You are in for a treat today. We have Dr. Scott McKnight on the pod. Scott McKnight is a world-renowned speaker, writer, professor, and equipper of the church. His latest book is titled Revelation for the Rest of Us. He is a recognized authority on the historical Jesus, early Christianity, and the New Testament. His books have been translated into Chinese, Korean, Russian, and Portuguese. He is the author of The Jesus Creed, The Blue Parakeet, The King Jesus Gospel, and the latest one, Revelation for the Rest of Us. I mean, just numerous commentaries, and is now writing a 16-volume series of reflections called The Everyday Bible Study. Oh my goodness, you are just going to love this conversation. He is so magnificent. I'm so lucky that I got to have a conversation with him, and I just am so excited that I get to bring you with me. Here is my conversation with Dr. Scott McKnight. So typically, when I have somebody on, I open by digging through their social media and posting something or reading back to them something that they've posted online. For you, Dr. McKnight, I actually went to your Goodreads page. Have you gone through your Goodreads page before? I have not. Okay. I have not. I went to your Goodreads and I found a quote. It's from your book, The Blue Parakeet. And it says this, God did not give the Bible so we could master him or it. God gave the Bible so we could live it, so we could be mastered by it. The moment we think we've mastered it, we have failed to be readers of the Bible. Can you talk to me about that? Well, this is so important. Uh, I mean, there is a sense in which we read the Bible, we learn it, we know it, we love it. Uh, we can get to the point where we think we know it all. Yeah. 
And the Bible is not like that, is it is too vast and too deep and too wide and too high to master it. Uh, we perceive something one day in, let's say, the book of Romans, and 10 years later we read it and we think, I feel like I've never read this letter before. Yeah. Now I have a different... And, and this is what has been the case in my life. I've been teaching the Bible for over four decades. And um, I'm amazed at, at the newness and freshness of the Bible all the time. And uh, my goal is to just let it speak to me uh, where I am in the present moment and listen, just become a listener. What are your thoughts on Bible reading what do you think that practice for a Christian should look like? Are you a believer that every Christian should be reading their Bible every day? What are your thoughts on that? Well, I'm a Bible teacher. Yeah. So yes, yes, I do think of that. But in this sense, the first century believers in Jesus, followers of Jesus in Galilee or Judea, did not have copies of the Bible. Right. They didn't have copies of the Gospels, that's for sure. And yet they did very well as followers of Jesus. Mm. I think we have to keep this in mind. The second thing is many people uh, have not been able to read in the history of the church. It wasn't until the 20th century that reading became as pervasive in society as it has. The third thing is there's a lot of people who are just not real big readers. Some of my favorite people that I know, wonderful Christian people, one of them was working in our house one day, he says, I didn't read a book my entire college career, and I don't plan on reading one now. Wow. So I respect this in the sense that this is a part of human makeup. But I believe that we have a very big privilege in having the scriptures available to us Mm -hmm. in so many ways. On Mm -hmm. my phone, I can sit in church and check a text to see if they're looking at the Greek Greek or Hebrew text. I can just look at it on my phone. Of course, people probably think I'm checking my social media or or Twitter or text messages. But I think that we should read the Bible. If we are Bible readers, I think we should become adept at Bible reading. And I think there's a couple ways. Uh, Sometimes we need to read the Bible fast, and that is read for an hour without pausing and rather not skimming, but rather quickly so that we can say read a whole book. Not Isaiah, not Ezekiel, mm. of course, but uh, and read a whole book in one sitting. I think that it's important to read the whole Bible on a regular basis. And I also think that there's importance in slow reading. And in slow reading, we just, we pause with every thought and we ponder and we chase down some of our questions and ask, why is this word being used here? And why did they change the word there? and just take it where it takes us. And I think in all these different readings that the Bible will become more alive. Now, as a professor, I want people to become more alert to historical context. So I want them to understand Galilee. I want them to understand Judea. I want them to understand what Pharisees are. It's important to read about the Dead Sea Scrolls just to feel for what that world was like. And for many years, many Christians read Josephus, the Jewish historian, alongside their Bible as a typical uh, way of reading the Bible, to know that historical background. And I think it illuminates uh, the text. I also think it's important to appreciate 
different authors in the New Testament. I've taught this for many years. We tend to homogenize all the writers of the New Testament according to our favorite authors. So if we like Paul, we make everybody fit what we think Paul is teaching. And if we like Jesus, we make everything else fit what we think Jesus is teaching. Whereas if we were in a first century room, we would have Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. Those are four different people writing. We'd have Paul and we'd have Peter and we'd have James and we'd have Jude and we'd have the writer of Hebrews, whoever it is. And we could ask them one question. What is salvation like? What do you think about Jesus? What is the Christian life like? And we would get overlapping answers with differences. But if we homogenize Mm. them, we've colonized the Bible. But if we allow Mm. each voice to speak, we hear the importance of talking about the same topic from different angles that will lead us into a deeper perception of the truth. So those are some ideas. I am somebody who started, I can't, I think I was like working at a Christian summer camp and I realized that I had never read the Bible in its entirety. I was one of those people that I think a lot sure. of people do this, Lord, show me uh-huh. what I should read. And I like yeah. open it. And that's the message that I had that day. But I was like 19 and I read this quote by J.I. Packer that said, any Christian worth his, I've added her, his or her salt will read their Bible cover to cover every year. And I was really convicted by that. And I started reading my Bible cover to cover. I'm on my 14th time through right now. And I have never been more humble in my understanding than I am today. If, if anything, I feel like I thought I knew so much on time one, two, three, four, that now my understanding is just, I feel like I'm constantly reading a book like yours revelation for the rest of us, or an N.T. Wright or a John Walton, and I am a Kenneth Bailey too. I'm seeing things that I never saw, had no idea were even there. So one of the first books I actually ever read of the Bible, the first book I ever read of the Bible, and I would not recommend this to anybody listening, but I was like in fourth or fifth grade and I wanted to be a good Christian. And so I opened up my Bible and I read the book of Revelation. It was the first (laughs) book I ever read. And of course, because I hadn't read the rest of the Bible, I didn't understand any of it. But I remember highlighting one of the first lines, blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy Mm -hmm. and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like nine or 10, I am ready to tell everybody that God is coming back, right? Like God is coming back tomorrow. I know. So I've read it in Revelation. Talk to me about what you believe the ultimate message to the church today that we can find in the book of Revelation. And also how do we respond or undo, if it needs to be undone, some of that thinking that many Christians like myself grew up under, where it's like, do I even go to college? Because God's going to come back tomorrow. How did we get that from Revelation as well? That happened to me when I was in college I or high school. I asked my youth pastor if I should go to college. He said, well, I just heard a sermon about the imminent return of Christ. Yeah. He said, you better go to college just in case the preacher's wrong. Yeah. (laughs) It was a visiting speaker. Well, that was a long time ago. (laughs) Um, Okay. I think the basic message of the book of Revelation is God is going to win Mm. in the battle over evil 
and the battle for justice and peace in this world. Mm. And that it is vitally important for those who know about Jesus Christ to make a decision if they want to live the way he has called them to live. And that will mean following the Lamb. The book of Revelation sees Jesus as the Lamb. That's one of the major images. And it is a book that is filled with, uh, at times, cringeworthy scenes and other times just absolutely amazing graphic images uh, in the sky. You know, dragons yeah. and women and all these, these fantastic scenes the sun and the moon and the stars falling and all this stuff. And I think what it's saying is that there is a battle in this life and you have to sort of choose your team, whether you want to side with team dragon or you want to side with team lamb. Mm. And it makes a huge difference in life, whether you will enter the new Jerusalem. If you follow the lamb, you will not enter new Jerusalem. That's a nice way of saying it. If you follow team dragon, and so it becomes, in a sense, it, it says that God's team wins, team lamb, but it also says this, you have to become the sorts of people who will resist the presence of the dragon in Babylon. It uses this image of Babylon as an evil empire. That's the chapter I'm on right now in your book, by the way, just so yeah, you know. That's amazing. It's an amazing chapter. I mean, it's graphic, uh, but it describes uh, the violence of Babylon. And it basically calls believers to choose whether they want to live like that or they want to resist that. So one of the essential visions of the book of Revelation is its call to make Christians dissident disciples, resistors of the way of the dragon, of the way of Babylon in this life as we follow Jesus. And at times, we live in environments that are very comfortable for Christians. Mm. You know, there have been times when I've been in a, with people and everybody in the room is a Christian. It feels pretty good. And other times you're with people who you think, these people, they are connected to the dragon. I mean, mm. what's going on in Israel and Hamas today? There's some dragon stuff going mm -hmm, on. Mm -hmm. And the question is, how do we respond to this sort of thing? And I think the book of Revelation calls us to discern the way of the Lamb and to live that way, to speak up, to speak out. And at times, we're going to experience that um, people don't, don't like us. They're going to resist. They're going to fight us. So the book of Revelation is essentially a book about discipleship, of how to live in a world that doesn't like you, how to live in Babylon as a follower of the Lamb. You know, it sounds very simple when you say it. And at the same time, I can just think through my own life, my own reactions, how difficult sometimes the Lamb approach feels. Yeah. Right? Especially in the face of what feels like, you know, th that idea of turning the other cheek. Or actually, let me ask you, when you say living like the lamb, what does that mean? What does that look like for us as Christians? How do we actively seek to show our allegiance to the lamb in our daily lives? Jesus is called in the book of Revelation at one point, the faithful witness. You may remember this expression. And a faithful witness is some, now the word witness 
The Greek word is martus. That is where we get the word martyr. A martus in Revelation is someone who has experienced something and witnesses to it, Hmm. has seen something, experienced something, and says, this is what happened. And at the same time, they have the courage to speak up when things are against the way of God, the way of Jesus. And sometimes they pay for it with their life. So witness is, it is words, it is work, and it is body. Mm. It's what we say, it's how we live our life, and sometimes it's our body that is going to pay the penalty. Jesus is the faithful witness. So what does it mean? It means following Jesus, not as a passive person who just keeps quiet, but as a person who lives in society and when they see something is wrong, they speak up and they speak out. Mm. And it takes courage to speak up and speak out when it happens. It's much easier to speak up and speak out five years later, almost pretending like we were there and yeah. we did the right thing. And, and, and Jesus was the one who, in the moment, made the right decision and spoke up, stood up. And paid the penalty. That's what the Christian life is like for the writer of Revelation when it comes to following the way of Jesus. So the way of the Lamb doesn't mean we just passively stand there and get slaughtered. Hmm. It means that we might get slaughtered, but it's because we've stood firm in the way of justice and peace and doing what's right. This episode is brought to you in part by World Relief an organization that partners with the local church to serve the most vulnerable. Around the world, increased conflict, the lingering effects of COVID-19, and disasters caused by our changing climate have left millions of people in desperate situations. Many are fleeing their homes and are facing starvation, persecution, and more. These overwhelming challenges cause many of us to wonder, can I make a difference? The answer is simple. Yes, you can. When you join The Path, World Relief's monthly giving community. You partner with World Relief in bringing hope and transformation to the millions experiencing vulnerability around the world. And when you partner with your monthly gift by September 30th, your first year of monthly gifts will be matched dollar for dollar up to $25,000. Double the impact of your giving and visit worldrelief.org slash viraljesus today. Revelation several times says, and John saw. In your book, you talk about what that means. Will you share with our listeners what that could look like? Yeah, this is this is one of my perplexing things about the book of Revelation. Did he see something in a sense that there was something external to him that was actually there? I've been to Patmos. I don't know if you've ever been yes, to Patmos. Yes, I have. Yeah. I read the book of Revelation in Patmos in the cave, whether it's the real cave, I don't know. I know, it's really cool. cave, and I read it. You read the whole book up there on that cave? In that cave? I did. Oh, wow. I did. You were up there a long time. Our, yes. Our, our tour guide's always pushing us through. The last time we were there, there were so many people, we, we didn't even get to stand still. But Oh, no. Um, 
Now I forget what we were what we were saying. Okay, what is he saw? Was there something on the wall, or is this something in his brain? Is it a vision? Yeah. Is it a dream? He doesn't use the word dream for what he said. But so I consulted with two of the world's experts on the meaning of sea. Okay. <laughs> in the in the book of Revelation, and I wrote emailed them, and I mean these are really significant scholars on these kinds of things. Wonderful Bible readers themselves. And both of them wrote back immediately almost saying this was more connected to John's imagination, what he saw, than it would be to, say, an mm. external vision. Though they, neither one of them excluded that. But they believed that these visions that okay. John had, that he saw, were from God. And so they are extrasensory experiences of what God wanted to reveal to John. And it stimulates imagination. And I believe that the best readers of the book of Revelation are captured by the imagination that John stimulates. So when he describes the woman in Revelation 12, this is one of my favorite pages. It's like the whole book of Revelation in one short chapter in Revelation 12. We first see a woman who is clothed with these 12 stars, you know, a crown on her head. And you think, 12 stars, that's Israel, you know, that's the 12 tribes. And the next thing you know is that this woman mm -hmm. is going to give birth to a baby who is Jesus. And then you think, well, that might be Mary. Mm -hmm. And then as the chapter goes on, then, oh, the dragon gets unleashed and goes attacking the woman. And then the woman seems to be the church. Now, I believe that it is a failure of imagination to say, is this Israel? Is this Mary or is this the church? And you have to choose which one. I believe John doesn't want us to do that. I think he wants us to be carried by the vision of this woman who seems to morph from Israel to Mary to the church. And that's what John's vision is. Then we see the dragon tossing its tail and, and knocking stars out of the sky and rivers coming at the woman and, and the people and the, the woman, the church, Mary, whoever, being protected. That, if you read that and you let your mind go where John goes, you will see what he saw. Now, you won't see it as well as he did, mm -hmm. but you will see it. And artists, you know, I have students like Karen Smith. She would draw this sort of thing, and I would say, that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. But I like my imagination, too, because that's what John wants us to do saw to see mm. for John is a visionary experience that he then attempts to write out. And when he writes it out, he wants us to experience what he saw. And when he writes it out, John's soul steeped in scripture, so steeped in the prophets like Isaiah, Zechariah, Ezekiel, Daniel, that when he writes, he cannot describe things without echoing, sounding like the prophets. And yet, he almost never explicitly quotes these prophets. That is, to me, one of the greatest accomplishments of the book of Revelation. Mm. It's a mosaic of the prophets without ever telling you that he's using the prophets' language. And I think it's because John only knew that kind of language. He knew the Bible so well. I grew up in a church where there were some older folks, 
who mm. knew the Bible so well, they could not even have conversations at church without reverting at times into the King James Version language. That was their religious language, and mm-hmm. that was John's, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. Bible. Would you say that that is also the approach, what you're talking about with the symbolism of the woman that we should have as we go through all of Revelation? I'm thinking like, for example, of Revelation 13 and the two beasts, and there's always groups that will say, this is who this is, right? Like This is a literal happening now character, and we can see that we're close to the end because of this happening. Would you say that we're supposed to look at it in terms of this is something that keeps happening over and over, or this is the literal person that we're supposed to be yeah. looking for. Yes, this is, Heather, this is the big thing because many of us, including me, including you from what you've said, yes, we yes. grew up sort of looking for the precise fulfillment of some of these passages. Yeah. And it is pretty clear in Revelation 17, 18, and 19 that Babylon is Rome of the first century. Now, all I'm saying is John is describing Rome as Babylon. And that woman, uh, the whore of Babylon, is the goddess Roma in Rome. And they all know this. You know, they mm-hmm. hear this. But what we also know is that John's contemporary Jews who wrote apocalyptic writings like John also used Babylon for Rome. Peter calls Rome, Babylon. So at a certain period in the early church, let's say anything getting close to the destruction of Jerusalem and Rome starting to breathe down the neck of Jews, suddenly uh, Rome becomes Babylon because Babylon is the ultimate trope or image or metaphor for an empire that is against the people of God. Here's what I try to teach my students. And that is, Babylon is timeless. Mm. There was a Babylon, there is a Babylon, and there will always be a Babylon. So the mistake in saying, is Vladimir Putin the beast from the sea or the beast from the land? You know, we get in a little fine discussion there. Yeah. Or is Hamas connected to this? Or is Netanyahu connected to this? The mistake there is to think that there's only one fulfillment. John, who wrote Revelation and wrote the letters of John, says there are many antichrists. And I think that what the Mm. mistake is, is locking it down to one person rather than having the discernment and wisdom to be able to see the parallels, connections between what John says about Babylon in Revelation 17 through 19 And what happens in governments today? There are times when the United States leaders are Babylon-like. There are times when local village leaders or local governors or local, you know, whoever you want to say, mayors, they have Babylon features to them. A discerning Mm -hmm. book of Revelation-soaked Christian will say, that's like Babylon. And other times they'll say, that's like the Lamb. And it's not like we can assign a mayor to, that's a dragon, and another one to, that's a lamb. Our mm-hmm. leaders will never be perfect. But we need to have discerning eyes to be able to say at times, the United States can be very Babylonian at times. And at times, it can be very Christian. 
And Christians are the ones who are called to mm-hmm, discern this. Mm-hmm. So I would say the mistake in the speculation approach to reading the book of Revelation is to lock down on one person rather than to have eyes to see what is happening in the world and to name it for what it is. That's what a witness is. They see it and they say it. They say, that's wrong. We should not be doing that. Hmm. And um, I, I just heard a story the other day of someone who was trying to get a legal loophole in an organization for a person who was not a minister to call them a minister so that the institution wouldn't have to pay that person. And I thought, there are some people would say, well, those are legal loopholes and that's okay. We can get by with this. We're going we're gonna to save money for our institution. And there are others who say, that's wrong. That is not the way we treat the law as believers in Christ, mm. who walk in the way of lamb and tell the truth and live in the light. And, and I think that's what John wants us to be able to see, not lock down on Putin, but to say, yeah, Putin's being like a dragon right now. He's being like the beast out of the sea and the beast out of the land. Mm. And Hamas, Hamas is too. I mean, it's not like anybody gets to go free in that part of the land. There's a lot of blame to go around. But uh, the things that have come out in the last two days that have happened have been very barbaric. Mm-hmm. And uh, they need to be said for what they are. And I think what's important about this approach, especially for me growing up in American churches and just always hearing a very American-centered gospel, is it makes room for the global church, Yes, which seems as though it should be incredibly important when we get grafted into this global family of God, right? Yeah. You're so right, Heather. The book of Revelation should teach us that America is not the only nation in the world. Right. That every tribe and every tongue and every nation and every ethnic group, everybody is going to hear about this message and there will be praise to the Lamb. They'll be singing Handel's Messiah. Actually, it was from the book of Revelation. Uh, They'll be singing this from every part of the globe because the church is expansive. And one of the dramatic things about Revelation, chapter 6 through 16 are all these visions of judgment or discipline. I like to call them disciplines. But what is amazing is if you know the size of the believers in the first century in Western Asia Minor in these seven churches, you're going to come to a number of something less than 500 probably, Hmm. maybe a thousand. And yet, LOL moments in the book of Revelation are, there are going to be multitudes that are innumerable of believers. They had to sit there and think, whoa, how is this going to happen? It's going to happen by the witness of the believers in this world. Wow. So I, I just love the drama of that development in the book of Revelation. It just seems like almost everybody is going to turn to the Lamb in faith. Hmm. And when you think of how small those churches were in the first century, you got to think there's something really big going on here. Can you speak to that, actually, to the symbolism of the seven churches? Yeah, I think that there are seven churches because those are the seven churches that John was sort of, let's just use an in, inaccurate term. He was the bishop of. Okay. Now, I have no evidence okay. for that. I'm just saying. These were seven churches that he ministered to. 
And he just draws a circle and he starts writing to every one of them. And in basically every one of them, it's a message from Jesus, a letter from Jesus, if you will, to each of these churches telling them what they're doing right, what they're doing wrong. Some are have no criticism. Some have no nothing they seem to be doing right. And I don't think that they symbolize the history of the church. That's what I was asking. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't think they do that. I think that they're first century churches and each one of them in different ways probably tell us something about our own mm. local church. What is really no- noticeable in this book, in those letters or the seven messages, there's a great scholar named Jeff Wyma at Calvin wrote on, on the seven churches. It's really a okay. good book. And Wyma calls them messages rather than letters. They don't really fit the letter formula. But the book of Revelation, Jesus criticizes these churches in ways that sound like Babylon in Revelation 17 to 19. And what he promises them are things that are going to show up in the New Jerusalem in Revelation 20 through 22. Hmm. So the New Jerusalem and Babylon are at work in the church right now Hmm. and always have been. I call it Babylonian creep or Babylon creep in the church. The dragon wants to invade our local church and make us look like, let's say, the Babylon of Revelation 17 to 19. And Jesus is calling us to be the kinds of people who inherit the new Jerusalem. Hmm. So that's, I think it's it's beautiful, but you have to read the book several times to be able to catch the resonances, the little promises that are going to show up later. How would you recommend somebody who's listening right now and they are just thinking, okay, I want to be a wiser Bible student. What are some of the ways that we can practically do that? Okay. The first thing I always tell people is we have to become Bible readers. We have to read the Bible, not read books about the Bible, read the Bible. Yes. The last study I read said, I think it was Barna, only 15% of Christians read their Bible daily. And I was shocked by that. Well, I'm not shocked because I teach this all the time, <laughs> but I hadn't heard that number. All right. I would say, number one, they have to read their Bible. The second thing is, I think they need to read good people who write about the Bible yeah, and then go back to the Bible and read it more. Mm. I think that it's too easy to read books we like, J.I. Packer, N.T. Wright, and it's harder just to read the Bible. So I believe we need Mm. to read the Bible, but we also need to be instructed by people that will help us read the Bible better. Yeah. Heather, you you read a lot. So I can tell by the way you've talked. (laughs) You can recommend books to people, you know? Yeah. I recommend people like Craig Keener and Ben Witherington and Lynn Coick and Fleming Rutledge. Read those things. And then when you read those people, when you read the Bible, you're going to be, you're going to start seeing things you had never seen before. Yeah. And then you're going to read some more people and they're going to help you read the Bible some more. So that's what I would say. Scott McKnight is the author of Revelation for the rest of us. Scott, our show is called Viral Jesus. What do you think it means? This is the last question, by the way, that I ask everybody. Yep. Okay. That's my build up. This is the last question. Everybody gets it. What do you think it means to be a Christian when online? It means... That people, when they're done reading what we have to say, they say, that's a person who's been with Jesus. 
That's a beautiful answer. I thought you were going to say that's a person who's team lamb. Yeah. All same thing. Same thing. Yeah, yeah. Scott McKnight is the author of Revelation. For the rest of us, you can get it wherever books are sold. Thank you so much, Dr. McKnight, for joining us. Thank you for having me, Heather. So what did we learn from our conversation with Dr. Scott McKnight? Number one, the entirety of Revelation is reinforcing the point that the lamb wins. There is something beautiful about remembering that in a world that is so dark and broken with war and famine, friend, friend, guess what? The lamb wins. Number two, Scott says that as Christians, it is our job to walk in the way of the lamb. That looks like challenging the beast and the dragon and the way that they operate. And so to walk in the way of the lamb, we have to serve the vulnerable. And it looks like resisting methods of coercion or manipulation or force and violence. The lamb looks like peace and love and conviction for your neighbor. Walk in the way of the lamb. Number three, something Scott writes in his book that I shared in last week's newsletter is he says the two beasts of Revelation seek to win by inflicting suffering, but the lamb wins by accepting suffering. And I was thinking this week about what it looks like to follow after the lamb. There is just something about a story where the main character spirit isn't broken, even when their circumstances are. And I'm talking to you right now. I don't know what circumstances you're sitting in right now. But what if your spirit can remain unbroken despite circumstances that are? There is something inspiring about people who allow their hearts to remain soft despite circumstances that are hard. Follow in the way of the Lamb. Viral Jesus was brought to you by Christianity Today. I've been your host and creator, Heather Thompson Day, producer and audio engineer, Lauren Joseph, and executive producer, Ed Gilbreth. Please review and recommend us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Next week, I sit down with investigative journalist, Taylor Lawrence. You guys do not want to miss our conversation next week. I am telling you, I could talk to Taylor for hours. She is incredible. Also, don't forget on Monday for the rest of 2023, I'll share a little devotional with you. It will always be under 10 minutes so you can listen while you go to work or drop the kids at school. But my hope is it will help you face your week in faith. I'll see you next week for another conversation where a viral Jesus guest talks and you and I listen so we can learn. I love growing with you on Viral Jesus. This episode was brought to you in part by the Enneagram and Marriage Podcast, an outreach dedicated to bringing joy, strength, intimacy, and purpose to couples seeking growth. 
Be sure to visit enneagramandmarriage.com to find your chemistry together again, or for the very first time.